Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. And this week we're going to do something a little different. Yeah, we've been in Charleston for a long time. We didn't get around to finishing our episode yet. Yes, because she's working on a very supersized, wonderful episode that we're not going to tell you what it is, right? No, but it's big. It's big. We're blowing the lid off of something that she's been heavily invested in for the last several weeks. Yeah, and we also had a lot of information that we gathered in Charleston, which we'll be doing an episode about coming up soon. We did a humongous amount of research in the local bars. Yeah, shout out to all of our new friends at Tommy Condon's. What a great place. (laughs) It was great. It's almost like being in Savannah. So since we didn't finish an episode for you for this week, we didn't want to leave you without one. So we're going to release a special episode from our Patreon series that deals with some crazy newspaper articles. Yeah, I love scouring old newspapers and finding the weirdest stories. Very weird, and believe me, these are weird. So check it out, and if you like this one, you can find more at our Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash Scary Savannah, or if you have the Patreon app, just look up Scary Savannah and you'll find us right there. So thank you for listening, and please enjoy this episode. To Scary Savannah and Beyond. This is going to be Patreon episode number 37. Crystal has found another interesting topic for us to discuss this week. You want to tell us what's going on and what we're going to be talking about on this episode? When I was researching last week's topic about weird medical practices, I was looking through old newspaper articles and I just started reading the ones unrelated to the topic I was supposed to be looking at. And I found very interesting stuff in old newspapers. It's like the way they wrote and just the topics that they chose were. So you're just picking something that's going to be like tongue gymnastics that there's no way I'm going to be able to read on the first try, the second try, or probably the third try, right? Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I thought it would also be a perfect opportunity for you to use your news broadcast voice. Well, I do always love an opportunity to use my news broadcast voice. Why don't you give it a try with this first one? Okay, so this first story is a tornado at the circus. It scared the crowd, threatened to let the animals loose, and made things lively, generally. Wow, they just wrote stuff weird back in the day, didn't (laughs) they? And this is from the Denver Tribune Republican. It was also reported in the Savannah Morning News. This is from 1885, but they took it from the Denver Tribune Republican. Aha, uh-huh. so they was ripping it Apparently, off. Apparently, they just saying. like pulled it from all over and just put it all in the Savannah Morning News for some reason. It was Wednesday, August 5th, 1885 in the Savannah Morning News, but it was from the Denver Tribune. Okay. So well, they just pull it from everywhere. I think they do that with like the AP and stuff nowadays, mm-hmm. but let's get to the story, shall we? Yesterday afternoon's performance at the circus had got well underway when the bass trombone player in the main tent was swallowing yardstick after yardstick of brass tubing. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to stop it right there. This is weird. It is. And I kind of like it. (laughs) I can, it just paints a picture and I want to be there. I mean, I've never swallowed any brass tubing. I wasn't a trombone player, but I had a trumpet and, you know, maybe it it works differently back in the day. I I think it did. 
Those were high dollar instruments. They of had course, at the circus. Certainly. The bass drummer was pounding shield out of the big <laughs> drum. Now that's a good <laughs> that one. That is a good one. That's a good pounding shield. <laughs> and the ladies on the trapeze were turning themselves inside out in the midst of the arms and feet of their male fellow acrobats. The 500-pound fat woman was exposing her charms before numerous admirers. The living skeleton was flirting with the tattooed woman from Circassia, New York, apparently. The real Zulu chief was sadly dreaming of hunting the antelope to his native wilds of Jersey City. And these things don't exactly age well sometimes. <laughs> Hey, we're just reading it as it was written. Yeah, this so is 1885, please don't take issue people. with this. This is right out of this article. And the great crowds, aggregating 4,000 people, were taking in all the beauties of the various attractions when a tornado scooped down on the big tents like the wolf on the fold, only its cohorts were not gleaming in purple and gold, but blinding, suffocating clouds of alkali dust. Can you imagine? Like, back then, they didn't have the weather channel, so they didn't have any clue that a tornado might just come. Uh, what I can't imagine is how cool people used to write things. I Look know. at how descriptive this stuff is. It's not using a ton of adverbs. It's using just really descriptive other types of words that I I'm I just I'm have a picture of a guy, like an old newspaper guy with a straw hat. He's got his little pad, and he's standing there writing all this down as it's happening. Like, he just happened to be just at the circus that day. And he's like, I've got the scoop on this tornado. Yeah, he's standing there as a tornado like, comes down. All right, boys, we're not it's leaving. time to take down the news. <laughs> yeah. The great canvas roof began bellying. Then it rent in a dozen pieces. The side flaps went to pieces. The dust made vision almost impossible. And the tent poles began a witch's dance that threatened to brain a dozen people. Even then, the crowd were loath to go. It must have been a real party. <laughs> it was. Fifty cents a piece meant something, and they wanted their money's see, worth. See, these are my kind of people. Like, you paid fifty cents to see the elephants. You're going to see those elephants. I don't care if there's a tornado and the gates of Sheol have opened up because of the bass drama. It just makes it that much more exciting Indeed. when you're risking death to see animals. <laughs> Finally, as the blast increased and the tents threatened to go to pieces, the crowd started and the circus men and the police got all outside with no one hurt. But the women lost their broad-brim hats that had shut out the view of the ring from many a man seated behind them. Children clung to their mothers, sisters, cousins, and aunts, too frightened to cry. Men either pulled their women folks after them or shielded their eyes with their arms from the blinding dust which drove into everything and filled every woman's hair chock full and brought out in bas-relief every stain and grease spot on many a black diagonal coat. <laughs> this guy's really paying attention to what's going on. <laughs> he's serious about reporting the news. He is the, the facts. Yeah. He's getting all the facts here. He's got them down. But then there was a circus all by itself in the menagerie as the dust storm blew in the tent sides. The refreshment man made a wild dive for his antiquated gingerbread cake buns, and bottles of soda pop, which had weathered many a similar gale and got them safely in his chest before the boys about tumbled to the racket. Then the netting enclosing the two Australian ostriches, emus for those who don't know what uh, Australian ostriches are. I don't even think those are the same thing, are oh, they? I don't know. Well, according to Newsman, it is, apparently. Blew over, letting the birds into the arena 
where they ran frantically about with a dozen circus attaches and a Rocky Mountain News reporter in full tilt after them. It required the might of eight men and the reporter, because he's talking about himself, apparently. (laughs) It's eight men plus me. Well, he can't drop his notepad while he's trying to catch these emus. He might miss somebody eating some brass tubing. He's going to make sure every woman's hair is full of dirt. (laughs) Chock full and every suit's covered in grease stains. (laughs) who struggled valiantly for freedom, and the Rocky Mountain newsman had the skin of one of his palms neatly removed by a kick from a captured bird. The two birds were straightaway put into their cage, and attention was at once turned to the elephants, who were trumpeting wildly and threatening to break loose. And what happens if these elephants get loose? How do you, like, wrangle an elephant? It's probably going to take more than one newsman. Yeah. It might even take two. And at least take two. These gentle creatures were run outside and pacified, and the cages containing the wilder animals were then enclosed to the intense rage of the occupants. (laughs) Tiger didn't want to be shut up. (laughs) Whose howlings added greatly to the charms of the scene. The laughing hyenas turned innumerable somersaults in trying to get loose, sort of like coffee would do, you know. Maybe she's got hyena in her. She does kind of look like a hyena. And their hoarse, sharp bark added to the heartbroken wells of the kangaroo and the cow with seven legs. Is <laughs> that a cow with seven legs? Apparently, it really is a circus sideshow going on here. The shrieks of the small animals and the cries of the dwarves and the Circassian girl who had lost her wig, all together with the rushing of the dust clouds and roar of the flapping canvas, made a scene that will not be soon forgotten. We're still talking about it. How many years later? 150 years. <laughs> All that was wanting seemed to be a realization of Jam's Gordon Bennett's little gag in making out a false stampede of wild animals in the Central Park when lots of children were out there for an airing, which caused Thomas Nass to picture him in Harper's Weekly as saying, Now, boys, let the animals loose in Central Park, and that'll raise blank, because even back then, I guess they had uh, censors. Some, some propriety. Yeah. Finally, after a 20-minute blow, the wind died out when the brass band crawled from a neighboring ice house to their cage in the big tent, and the dulcet strains of Don't You Go, Tommy, Don't Go got the crowd back into the partly demolished tent, and the show went gradually on to completion. Oh, to be there. That would have been so great. And that article is from the Savannah Morning News, Wednesday, August 5th. 1885. And they really knew how to have a circus back then. Like, the ones I've been to are pretty lame compared to this. I just want to see people eat brass tubing. That's all I care about (laughs) at this point. And they had hyenas. I don't remember hyenas being in our circuses. I don't really remember the circus real well because I kind of sort of hated it. Yeah, it was kind of boring. Although you apparently love zoos. I do love zoos because they're in their natural habitat and they're doing stuff fun. Doing fun things yeah, like, like that hiding panda from the cam that I keep trying to check. And there's no panda. And the pandas never. They don't have there. a panda. They don't have a panda. So all the next ones are going to be from Time Magazine from different times, and this one's going to be from April twelfth, nineteen thirty-seven, and it was an advertisement in Burlington, Iowa. Harold Lyons reported no decrease in box office receipts after he advertised on his Cinemansion marquee. Two features. Neither one is any good. Both of them, neither any good. Sounds like they've uh, got us sold. It's probably still better than that movie we just watched the other week. It's got to be. What I'm talking about. Yeah, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. Trash, trash. I'm not sure if this next one's related to that, if this was the, one of the movies that he had showing. Okay. 
from the April 28, 1923 Time magazine. In Manhattan, a 250-pound woman laughed herself to death over the cinema Clarence. Laughed herself to death yes. over a movie called Clarence. Yes, and why did they need to put that she was 250 pounds? I guess that was odd in 1923, but a lot of people are 250 pounds, but I don't think that'd be newsworthy. Well, apparently they... Uh, Is that the reason she died laughing? I'm assuming that it had some kind of correlation, possibly. I really want to know if that was the movie that was playing. That was not any good. We should look up Clarence <laughs> and just see what it is. It's probably like If it made like her laugh dirge. to death, you might literally laugh yourself to death Well, you realize their sense of humor back then isn't exactly what it is nowadays. You still need to check out the movie Clarence. We're going to check it out. I'm sure it was a humdinger of a movie. <laughs> And this is from the November 26, 1934 issue of Time, Send-Off. In Manville, New Jersey, boisterous wedding guests pelted Joseph Loca and bride with rice, knocked Joseph Loca out with a well-aimed five-pound bag, revived him, and sped him on his honeymoon. <laughs> like, I think they missed the point. You're supposed to take the rice out of the bag. <laughs> I can just see it. It's like, hey, they're walking out and waving and everything. And then somebody just comes up with like a five-pound bag of rice and throws it at him as hard as they can. Rice right is in the painful, face. especially if it's in a bag. Like, I remember, do you remember Sean throwing rice at us at our wedding? It hurt. I, he threw it really hard, like a baseball. Like, he got like a handful of like a baseball and threw it. Just pelted us. Yes, probably still got bruises. It was painful. Yeah, so I would love to see a recreation of this uh, actual event. I I don't think the thing to do anymore is rice. I think they do bubbles and stuff because people are soft these days. Yeah, it hurts birds or some such nonsense. Although we all know that birds are in fact not real. They are not. This next one is from August twenty fifth, nineteen twenty four, from Time Magazine. Doubtful dog in Chicago. Bim Elbert dog. (laughs) (laughs) Bim Elbert. Dog. Because <laughs> you need an explanation. Was reported as being paid quarters and dimes for tidying the Elbert premises, for minding the Elbert car, for carrying the Elbert market basket, for going to bed promptly, for what not whining. Boy. I know he's good. For not whining or barking or playing with other dogs. He was said to go to the bank with his weekly savings, deposit them with a the teller, wait for his passbook, <laughs> trot home. His balance was $68 with no withdrawals. He was saving against the infirmities of age. What a great dog. I really need to think about my financial future. Yeah, he had a long-term plan. I really just want to spend all of this on treats. But my humans won't let me. He was a good boy. Uh, $68 back in 1924 is probably a fortune compared to what some people had. Yeah, and if he kept it long enough, it could have really, like, if he was had an interest-bearing account, that dog been could be worth millions and today. For his lifespan of, like, 12 years, <laughs> he really would have been set. He needed a really quick acting I'd like to know who he left his money to. I'm sure it's probably somebody who helped film the movie Clarence. He's probably a big investor in it. Yeah, he probably was. And he probably had something to do with this next one, too. Okay. So the next story is from the April 9th, 1928 issue of Time Magazine. Teeth. Matthias Blau of Chicago persuaded his wife Helen to have all her teeth pulled. Then he refused to buy her false teeth because, he said, (laughs) it was cheaper to feed her on soup than on solids. Mrs. Blau went to court was awarded two sets of store teeth and at least a beefsteak a week. Judge Jonas told Mr. Blau that he had committed the meanest trick 
he had ever heard of. This is insane. Can't you just see this on an episode of Perry Mason? Oh my gosh. That's so what would happen? Like, Except the, the woman would come in and, and she'd be like, hey, how me remove all my teeth? <laughs> well, she had to eat too much and I thought it would save me 20 cents on the dollar if I had her need nothing but soup. She's a 250-pound woman. Then I'm going to go send her to see Clarence. <laughs> I can't believe this actually happened. Like someone actually convinced their wife to pull all her I teeth. I feel like you're really eating too much, baby. And we need to go on a new <laughs> diet that involves, I mean, you could just eat soup, but yeah. you need to remove all of your teeth. It'll prevent me from being able to eat anything else. This is a good idea. Yeah. How could she possibly go for that? But I guess maybe uh, he was a real convincing man. He's like, I'll get you them store-bought teeth, baby. I promise. She probably wanted a grill. You know, like yes. those things with the gold and stuff that some people have. Yeah. Back then. That I hope she really got them. Cool. Yeah. She got two sets. Store so. teeth. She had like a backup set. Yeah, store teeth. Store teeth. Those, those are the best. Those are, I bet they My were quite teeth. a, you know, a fetching item for fashion. <laughs> it's funny enough, there's another article about teeth. I'll do tell. From the June 4th, 1928 issue of Time. Near Lexington, Kentucky, A.G. Bush, veteran railroad engineer, was driving along in his engine pulling a train. He sneezed suddenly, at which his false teeth fell out of the window. I hope he had a backup pair. He didn't. So surprised was Engineer Bush by this dismal accident that he drove half a mile before he remembered to stop his locomotive. He was just overclamped. <laughs> he reversed his speed then and traveled back to the scene of the sneezing. So he's basically like those people on the interstate, the past the intersection yes. you're supposed to go to, and they're like, well, let me throw it in reverse. And you don't know if another train's back. coming along. That's yeah, a chance you got to take. teeth are somewhere. <laughs> All the passengers on the train, as well as the brakemen, and conductors helped him look for his synthetic molars. The search had been relinquished as futile. Engineer Bush was back in his cab and moving forward again when a great shout went up behind him. A local searching party had found his teeth. Huzzah! <laughs> Amid cheers from the passengers and cries of, Shut your face! <laughs> Engineer Bush put them back in his mouth, frowned, and resumed his nonchalant journey. It doesn't sound anything about this as nonchalant. He threw the train in reverse <laughs> and was going back looking for teeth. How was anything about that nonchalant? I guess he was just like, he's another character I could see on Perry Mason. Like all of my, all of these The characters. case of the toothless train. Yes, the toothless train engineer. It writes itself, really. It really does. So this next story is from the March 2nd, 1936 issue of Time. Pro, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a group of domestic science teachers, doctors, and socialites ate crow at a formal dinner to prove that crow is good to eat. Local market price for crow was $1.50 a dozen. Sounds like a bargain, even in 1936. <laughs> Why did they have to go out of their way to try to prove that crow was edible? Is, is this something like Big Crow put them up to? I think so. Like... Maybe beef was too expensive and they were trying to like market it in a new way. Like we eat it. We're doctors. We're socialites. We'll eat crow. We're domestic science teachers. Yeah. yeah so. And uh, it also is a little bit softer than chicken, which mm -hmm. is very beneficial when you've had all of your teeth removed to try to pull back on the diet. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Because yeah. your, your spouse has told you, hey, you know what? <laughs> Let's pull those pretty pearly whites right out. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it caught on, unfortunately. From the March 3rd, 1923rd issue of Time, in Asbury Park, New Jersey, a young lady hiccuped steadily for 12 weeks, then ceased as suddenly as she began. 
Well, that Water there is crow. real news. I it mean, is. this like, isn't this is like that news. politics swap. <laughs> she hiccuped for 12 weeks. I'm wondering if she was part of those people that ate crow. She that might be have been. a side effect. Probably some kind of avian flu they got back then. But hey, they're only spending a dollar fifty a dozen. So I guess sometimes it's worth taking the risks. It's just amazing the things that were newsworthy. I know. It's, of course, it's like I don't, one step down from a cat being stuck in a tree. Yeah, I don't watch the news these days, so I don't really know what's in it. But I imagine it's more important than someone hiccuping for 12 weeks. Crime. Yeah, there's crime out there. You're going to get murdered in your neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. I would rather hear about a woman hiccuping for 12 weeks Or this straight. next one. It's good. From the December 12th, 1932 issue of Time, Spoons. In Norfolk, England, lives an old woman with 20 spoons. The handles of twisted silver, 10 small spoons are made of the fingernails of her late husband, 10 large spoons of his toenails. And that truly is probably more disturbing than actually hearing about murders on the news because why does she have his body? What other (laughs) silverware does she own she didn't tell him about? I don't know. What is the china made out of? It's probably made out of femur bones. What did she do with his teeth? Or did he still have teeth? Maybe he was the guy that was engineering the train and he lost them back on that last stop before he died. Was he even dead? Was she making this silver out of his body parts while he was still living? Because you could get the fingernails and stuff. They didn't say why he died. They just said her late husband. He could have been like set up at the table. Oh, it was saying her late husband. Well, then it's totally admissible in court, and there's nothing they need to search for. Well, I mean, maybe they found him dead at the table when she's serving dinner with those spoons made out of his toenails. Oddly enough, his deceased body was missing several body parts. (laughs) Don't know where they went and what connection that might have to the case. November 1st, 1937 issue of Time, Insomnia. In Los Angeles, the State Bureau of Furniture and Bedding Inspection was summoned by a man who suffered from insomnia to complain about his newly restuffed mattress. Inspectors ripped open the mattress, found it had been restuffed with a five-pound slab of concrete Four old suits of underwear. So he's having trouble sleeping on it and he's trying to move it. And he's like, wow, this is heavy. And it's not very comfortable either. I should call the cops. <laughs> and the fact that you got your mattress restuffed and not just bought a new mattress back then, this is just. That's sort of like that story that we saw. You remember back when the Nintendo was really popular and hard to get. Yeah. And people would try to buy it on like Facebook groups or mm-hmm. wherever you would get it. And then people would scam them Mm -hmm. and they would sell them boxes that looked like it would contain the gaming system. But then they would open it and be like, it's full of rocks. It's just a box of rocks. Yeah. And that was so funny because we saw one where somebody posted about, I bought it and he gave it to me in the parking lot of Carowinds. (laughs) And then I opened it up and it was full of rocks. It was just a box of rocks. How did you not know when you had the box handed to you? I I don't know. Maybe he's a real good salesperson. So probably don't get your mattresses restuffed. Just buy a new one. That way you'll be sure it's not filled with concrete. I don't know how that person stayed in business. old suits of underwear. Old suits of underwear. Like, why? I guess you have a little cushion on top of the concrete, so it's not so obvious. Yeah, it's a little bit. It's firmer. How heavy would that be? Five pounds. (laughs) (laughs) But still, like. It would would still be be like, this doesn't feel like down to me. Yeah. From the July 23rd, 1923 issue of Time, Grand Whisker Eno. In Chicago, assembled the annual convention of the International Association of Specialty Salesmen. You could be at that one. 
I certainly could, especially when I found out what they were selling. Said the president, This year we decided to find the man with the longest beard in the country to appear at our convention. It didn't take much to impress these people. It really did not. He then introduced Hans W. Langseth, 77, of Barney, North Dakota. Mr. Langseth carries his 17-foot beard inside his waistcoat in a bag. (laughs) The specialty salesman conferred upon him the title of the Supreme Grand Whiskerino of the Universe. So they just went ahead and bypassed international. They bypassed global. Mm -hmm. They just went straight to universe. And it has nothing to do whatsoever with what they sell. Maybe they work for Gillette. Maybe. (laughs) Now we're going to shave this man's beard off. And he starts struggling and fighting. He's like, I've been growing this beard for 40 years. They'd be like, well, guess what Gillette's going to do to it? Like, I don't even work here. (laughs) I don't know you You just got me off the subway. (laughs) (laughs) The subway. (laughs) Vagrant goats from August 4th, 1924. In Newark, New Jersey, citizens complained that 100 vagrant goats had taken possession of the freight yard district, butted the residents, overturned swill buckets, eaten clotheslines, rose bushes, and awnings. Police, five dog catchers, two health department inspectors, humane society agents, a squad of detectives geared out with lassos and dog nets, carried the herd of whiskered miscreants, caught nine. What happened to the other 91? Well, the the problem is probably they didn't have that news reporter there helping them do this because he would have, you know, he'd have had the palm flayed. Yes. But he would have got the other goats. I feel like the guy with the beard would have been helpful here, too. He could have related to them. Maybe, like, called a truce. Bearded man, of course we'll come back and stop eating the rose bushes. (laughs) It's like they ate the clotheslines. They eat anything, don't they? They will. That's the rumor. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard they'd eat 10 Where did they come from? They just showed up? I think that was more of a made-up-for-cartoon thing, but that's what they would always show in the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons that the goats were eating, like, cans. Okay, so these next two happened more recently, and I put them in here because this is such an odd thing, but apparently this happens quite often. These are not the only two articles I saw similar to this about tortoises. So, this one is from the Chicago Tribune, December 5th, 1999. Man with nothing to declare had 55 tortoises in his pants. (laughs) Okay, I mean, really, do you need to hear the story? (laughs) You do need to hear the story. (laughs) By the Associated Press, December 5th, 1999, Miami. When Barbados pet store owner Rodney Carrington tried to enter the United States, he told customs officers at Miami International Airport he had nothing to declare. But his pants said otherwise. (laughs) Well, they could have just ended the story right there, don't you think? I think they should have. Carrington was arrested Friday after officers said they found 55 red-footed tortoises in his pants. They became suspicious, a federal prosecutor said, after they noticed that Carrington's pants were wriggling and had some ominous bulges in unusual places. (laughs) Like, imagine being the guy that's like, oh, we're going to have to inspect your pants, sir. It'd be like Leslie Nielsen walk up there. There's nothing to see here. Nothing to see here, folks. Move on in his pants. are like swarming everywhere. <laughs> and I thought that was like an isolated thing. But apparently people try to smuggle tortoises 
into well, this all happened, kinds of that places. That one happened in Miami, Florida. So that could definitely fall into the category of Florida man. Yeah, because Florida has some crazy stuff that happens out there. It's not a shock. It's crazy that he didn't get away with it, honestly. I know. Like, well, usually we don't stop him for anything less than 100 tortoises. This last one takes place in Berlin, and it's much more recent. Monday, March 18th, 2019. Man tries to smuggle tortoises disguised as cakes into Berlin. Oh, I got to put this picture up. Yeah, the shells could be seen clearly through the plastic packaging. It's like a cake box with tortoises in it. Not even with icing or anything. It's just a tortoise in a cake box. Well, you know, they make cakes look very realistic these days. And so that's what he was claiming. The man claimed the tortoises were made of chocolate. An attempt to smuggle three live tortoises in a pastry box into Berlin was thwarted by airport staff. A passenger who'd flown into Schoenfeld Airport from Cairo tried to sneak through the nothing-to-declare section, but was stopped by security staff. The tortoises were stowed inside a pastry box with the shells clearly visible through the plastic packaging. The man tried to pass off the animals as edible, saying they were chocolate tortoises designed to look realistic. He could have just stopped at saying edible because that would be true. That is true. But not in the sense that he goes on with it. However, it quickly transpired that these were in fact live Moroccan tortoises, officially an endangered species. Oh, it sounds like real trouble getting ready to happen to this man. The amphibians were confiscated and are being looked after by the airport vet. If found guilty of animal trafficking, the man in question faces a fine of up to 50,000 euros. Yeah. Or a five-year prison sentence. Or 43,000 pounds. I don't know which one's worse. <laughs> How I much is... I <laughs> would say it's probably going to go with the prison sentence because I don't want to go to prison for five years. Well, he might. He might be like, well, if I could find a way to get some cake boxes in the jail. Yeah, he might know. have more success smuggling them in, into jail. <laughs> it comes after The Independent reported that 1,529 exotic alive turtles valued at more than... 65,750 pounds were found smuggled into the Philippines in a passenger's luggage. The reptiles were discovered by customs officials at Ninoy Aquino International Airport in Manila. So apparently this just happens all the time. It makes sense. I mean, it's a big demand in the trade market for some edible chocolate turtles that move around and look a lot like actual real turtles. Yeah, so um, that's that's really weird to me that people smuggle turtles. It's not weird at all. It would just be weirder if they were smuggling something less weird. I mean, you're scared to even have like a bottle that's too big past the limit size of whatever it is, like 1.2 ounces, whatever you can carry on a plane. Remember that time we went through a security checkpoint? I think it was in Vegas and I forgot to take that little plastic water bottle out still had water in it through the line. Yes. And then they told me after I put it through the metal detector. They pulled you aside and when it started going through your bag, sir, do you have any liquid in here? And you're like, I, I don't said, think no, so. I got no liquid. <laughs> what are you talking about? And they're like, well, then what is that? <laughs> this little bottle of water. And I said, well, I'm clearly going to jail. <laughs> they gave it to you too. Like they literally gave it to you on the plane. And then they want to try to take it and say you were smuggling it. Well, I could have deposited something in it because we were coming back in through the security. I know, that's what I'm saying. But they were the ones that gave it to you in the first place. It's really all their fault, is what you're saying. And I agree with you 100% totally. Although I still thought I was getting arrested. So would you have taken the 65,000 pound fee or gone to jail? Well, if 65,000 pounds translates to 200 US dollars, then I'd probably just pay the fine. (laughs) 
<laughs> but if it translates to like more than that in US dollars, I would probably just try to flee the scene. Yeah, you would not do that. No, I would totally take the punishment, <laughs> even if I hadn't done it. I'd be like, it's, it probably is my fault. I'm sorry, officer. And I have a pocket knife in my pocket, too. <laughs> I didn't mean to bring it. I really did not. And this little water bottle, uh, you might as well just put me in the chair. You remember our friends told us that um, he didn't have his birth certificate or something, and she forged something. This is literally forging government documents. Now, it wasn't us, and we're not going to say who it was because I don't want to get him in trouble. Oh, but no. I was like, oh, my goodness, you people are psychos. Oh, yeah, she would, you would be so scared to try to go through security without the proper documentation. Oh, I remember who it was. You I remember? Say don't yeah, say it. I remember. <laughs> yeah, um, don't take your turtles and have your proper documentation. And don't smuggle in bottles of water, most importantly. And always take the opportunity to see people eating brass tubing every chance you get, because you never know when you might see an errant tornado drop down and make the emus go nuts. Can we go to the circus, please? No. Okay. We'll go to the zoo, though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>